I want to speak to you a message today that I have titled, Stealing It from the Band, The Eagles. I stole the title from the band, The Eagles. And the title of this sermon is, Take It to the Limit. Oh, the heathen said. (laughs) Take it to the limit. You know, I want to be a wild man. I want to be a wild man. Not for the sake of being wild, but because... My Savior, Jesus, is a wild man. When Jesus arrived on planet Earth, there was some wild stuff going on. When he entered into his ministry, they said, Look, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never heard anything like this before. Jesus is a wild man, and I'm advocating that you and I be wild men and women. You know, when you were, before you met Jesus, you were wild. You were wild. I mean, you'd go out, you'd do crazy stuff, risk your lives. You'd go out, blow a whole paycheck in one weekend and, and not even and call it a good time. What happened to that wild person? Where'd that person go? You know, where did you get, like, you check your wildness at the door when you came into Jesus? It's like, you know, you get all religious and sanctimonious. It's like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. You know, it's like, no, man, let's stir up some of that wild creature that was down deep inside of you. There's some things that you need to be doing with that person. You need to, you need to allow that person to come out and be wild like Jesus is wild. Come on now, how am I doing? Clint, do, he, do you yell at him like this? Do you, no? You don't get too loud? Okay. They do? Okay, well, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You like the wild stuff? There you go. All right. Proverbs 4.23 will be my text. Proverbs 4.23, and it's up on the wall. It reads like this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, springs the issues of life. Now, Clint's probably, he's probably preached this passage of Scripture to you a hundred times, but I'm going to do it again. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The Bible here points our attention to our hearts. Why? Because God is a heart God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God does not look as a man looks, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. When God looks at you and I, he doesn't look at our successes, our failures. He doesn't look at how well we've done. He doesn't judge us by that. He looks at our heart. The Bible here tells us that we're to keep our heart, we're to pay attention to it, we're to keep it in a specific way. With all diligence. That word diligence simply means the guard at the gate of the prison. Now, Sherry and I, we have the opportunity to go in prisons all over the place. And when we go, everyone that we've been in, there's a guard at the gate. And that guard has a twofold job. He's supposed to keep in what's supposed to be kept in and keep out what isn't supposed to get in. The Bible here is telling us that we need that type of activity going on around our heart because it says that there's something coming out of our heart. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. That word issues simply means the geographical boundaries, the borders, the limits that you and I face. Those are, those are all coming forth out of, our, out of our hearts. They're not from some external place. Somebody's not limiting you. Somebody's not controlling you. Those are controlled by the beliefs that we have. The, so in any time that there's a limit, being a child of the 70s, 
I have been taught to, to oppose that limit, you know, question authority kind of thing. And so today, I want us to take some things to the limit. Are you ready? I got a two-point sermon. Are you ready? Point number one. We need to take our faith to the limit. Why? Because faith is the big deal with God. Faith is the big deal with God. The whole, this whole thing about following Jesus, serving the Lord, doing all those things, it all comes down to one issue. Will we trust God? Will we believe that what he says is actually the truth? Will we believe that it's reality? And I know about you that I come up to limits in my life where I don't believe that what he says is true over my own personal experience. And we need to be those people that are taking our faith to the limit because faith is what it takes to please God. Because Hebrews tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. So we need to be those people that take our faith to the limit because our faith has work to do. Everybody say work. I know it's a four-letter word, but it's still right there. Our faith has work to do. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 6 about that work that our faith has to do. It says that the work of faith, that faith is expressed or that faith works by love. So if we take our faith to the limit, the manifestation of our faith shows up in how we love. Point number two, we need to take our love to the limit. We need to take our love to the limit. Look, I got a two-point sermon. It's not even 10 o'clock yet. We need to take our love to the limit. Why? Because love is the indefensible strategy of heaven. If you were to boil it down and look at the strategic aspects of the plan of God, it would all revolve around the issue of love. That's what God desires. That's his heart. That's Jesus came to demonstrate, you know, for God so loved the world. We are those people that should, that, that should be manifesting the reality of this indefensible strategy of heaven with the, with the assurance that love never fails. We've got to be those people that are engaged in the strategy that heaven has by walking in love and demonstrating the reality of the love of God to everybody. Now, I've been, as I mentioned, I've been serving the Lord now for almost 39 years. I've been in church pretty much every time the door was open throughout that 39-year period of time. And can I tell you that I have been around some Christians that get on my last nerve. My sister Linda, when we were growing up, she had this little Siamese cat named Buttercup. And I love Buttercup. Buttercup was the coolest cat that we ever had. Buttercup had this one characteristic. Anytime my sister Linda would talk anywhere, she could be anywhere in the house, and she'd start talking, and that cat would fuzz up, find her, and attack her. I loved that cat, man. That cat was so cool. But I've been around some Christians that have that same effect on me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I get around them, it's like, I kill you. We had this guy in our church one time, and every time he opened his mouth, it was like his fingernails were dragging down a chalkboard. He was our worship leader. I was praying for him one day. Lord, take him out. Take him out. He needs to go to heaven right now. And God said, yeah, I'm going to take you out if you don't change that attitude. And, I, and I, I, was, I was, you know, struck by what the Lord said. 
And, I, and so I prayed. I said, God, I, I don't have the capacity to love this man. I can't do it. You're going to have to enlarge my capacity. I'm going to have to take this limit off so that I can have the capacity to love this man. And you know what happened? He became one of my very best friends in life. But as long as I was allowing that limit to be imposed in my life and not taking my love to the limit with those right here in my family, right here in the same church where I attended, there was going to be a problem. We've got to be those people that are willing to identify the limits that we have with each other and be willing to break those things apart and to move beyond them. You know why we have to do that? Jesus said it's vitally important for us to take our love to the limit with each other. He said it like this. They will know that you're my disciples by your love one towards another. Listen, there are too many empty seats in here for me. I'm sorry. I know you got two services, but there's too many empty seats in here for me. Because I believe that when we take our love to the limit with each other, that it opens up the door for us to take our love to the limit with people who don't believe like we believe. And that is when the fun starts. Is when we take our love and our faith to the limit with people that don't believe like us. Okay, I'm done preaching. How about that? Now I'm telling stories. I got three stories I want to tell you, and these stories all have the same thing in common. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you up front so you don't have to sit around and wonder, I wonder what these stories mean. Now here's what they mean. And say it with me. Somebody invite somebody to come to church. Say it again. Somebody invite somebody to come to church. We were, Cherry and I were on staff at a large church in northwest Missouri, and we were doing an event with our motorcycles because we figured out those Harleys can preach the gospel. And so we were doing church in a park, and we had all this stuff going on, and somebody, guess what, somebody saw this guy running around town and thought, I'm going to invite this guy to church. Somebody invite somebody to come to church. So they invited this guy to come to this event we were doing. He was the epitome of a motorcycle dude. Long hair, full beard, tattoos everywhere, black Harley shirt, black jeans, black boots, and a black chain drive wallet. He had everything going on for him, motorcycle, except one thing. No motorcycle. You guessed it. <laughs> but they invited him to come, and there was an opportunity during that time for people to believe on Jesus, like there will be today. And here he came. And I saw him walking down the aisle, and I said, there's a brother going to take some people's love to the limit right there. And he started coming to church regularly. And one week, we had church, our midweek service was on Friday night. And we had church on Friday night, and Richard's his name. And, and one Friday night, Richard, he'd worked all week. He got off work. He went immediately to the bank, cashed his check, went immediately to bar, and drank as much as he could as fast as he could because he didn't want to be late for church. And he came walking in, and I was running sound, Scott, and I was back in the sound booth, and I could smell him as soon as he walked in the door. He wasn't three sheets into the wind. He was four or five. He went over, found a seat. It wasn't just a few minutes. A whole herd of ushers come to me. Pastor Jimmy, there's a drunk guy over there. <coughs> you think we ought to throw him out? <coughs> and I was being nice. Because I thought, well, if we throw him out, he's just going to go back to the bar and they're going to accept him there. I said, well, is he bothering anybody? They said, no, he's real happy. 
It's like, oh, praise the Lord. Maybe you can share some of that happiness, spread it around. <coughs> Sunday morning, I was out in the foyer, and here he came. Long hair, full beard, tattoos everywhere, black pony, black Harley shirt, black jeans, black boots, a black chain drive wallet, and a black King James Bible. We walked into the auditorium together, and I said, Richard, man, you was drunk Friday night. What's up with that? And he hung his head and said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, look up here. I said, you see that chair? That chair got your name on it. And I want you to be sitting in that chair every time we're having church. I don't care whether you're drunk or sober. I don't care whether you're straight or stoned. I just want you to be here sitting here. And if you'll listen to the word that's being preached, let these people around here love on you. It's not going to be too long. You're going to feel the need to go to the bar before you come to church. One Sunday morning, Richard came to church. He decided he was going to get all of God that he could get out of that service. This is no offense to you all back here in the cheap seats, but it ain't the same back there as it is down here in the front. Look at this front row, prime real estate. And, and believe it or not, the, you know, I don't, you know, what you give, it doesn't make a difference where you sit. Come on now, it's not like the ball game. You, you can sit down here on the front row. But Richard came in, and he found a seat on the second row, and he sat down next to Miss Prim and Proper, who had just left her estate, and she was dressed to the nines. I walked by and saw that and said, somebody's love's going to the limit this morning. <laughs> She's a great lady, great Christian business lady, and she started to engage Richard in conversation, and he came around to vocation. She said, Richard, what kind of work do you do? And he says, well, ma'am, I'm a tattoo artist, and I do exotic body piercing." <laughs> she lived a sheltered life. This was several years ago, and she said, well... I don't believe I've ever seen anything pierced on anybody other than their ears. Right on the second row, Richard just lifts his shirt up to reveal some of his work right there on the second row. She came screaming out of her seat and found me, and I'm like you. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Because that's the way church ought to be. It ought to be bikers and bankers sitting right next to each other. I'm going to say something really important right now. It ought to be the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers sitting right next to each other. Listen, we do a pretty good job at reaching out to the down-and-outers. We don't do nothing to reach out to the up-and-outers. And we need some people that are going to rise, rise up and have a ministry to the up-and-outers because they're just as lost as the down-and-outers. They're just as miserable as the down-and-outers. Just because they got some stuff don't mean that they're all right and we need to ignore them. Story number two, and guess what happened? Somebody invites somebody to come to church. Some business people in our church, they were working with this couple, and they invited them to come to church. And they started coming to church. They drove two and a half hours one way to come to church, five hours round trip to come to church. They came. There was an opportunity for people to believe on Jesus like there will be here today. And here they came, and they, they, they confessed their faith and started coming to church twice a week, 10-hour commute to, just to come to church. And they started coming to church, and, and a few weeks into it, I got a, a, an appointment from somebody on my calendar, or I researched it, and it was one of their mothers. And she came into my office, a very well-dressed business lady, sat down, and we started to talk, and she said this. 
you know, my kids come to your church. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm aware of that. And she said, you know, my kids' lives are being changed by coming to your church. And I said, well, I'm really glad for that. But what can I do for you? Why are you here? And she said, well, my kids are talking about wanting to become members of your church. And I want to know, are you going to accept them or reject them because they live together? And I don't know about you, but when somebody's mama's sitting there crying out for her kids, not just her child, but her kids, it just gets me. You know, it's like I got, this is important business right here. This is the real deal right here. And so I wanted to have an answer that was fitting. And so I said, well, ma'am, first of all, this church membership stuff, we, we just make that stuff up. It's not in the Bible. We just make it up. You know, it's not, not that you shouldn't have that, but we're making it up. And I said, and secondly, I don't remember Jesus ever rejecting someone because they had sin in their life. I mean, really, that's why he came to this planet. He came to a planet that was 100% occupied by unrighteous people. And it didn't deter him in the least. So here's what we'll do, ma'am. We're, we're going to receive your kids individually as members. We're not going to acknowledge them as a couple, but we'll receive them individually as members. And one of two things is going to happen. One, they're going to open up their hearts, they're going to follow Jesus, they're going to deal with this issue in their life. Two, they're going to harden their hearts, they're going to reject Jesus, and they're not going to deal with it. And I just want you to be ready for that. So months passed, this couple commuting two and a half hours one way to church, sitting in church. And I can't tell you how many well-meaning, ignorant Christians felt like it was their ministry and obligation to go to this couple and to tell them what was wrong in their life, to point out their sin. Listen, this is what I found out about sinners. You don't have to tell anybody about their sin. You know why? They already know it, and the Holy Spirit is far better at doing that than you are. Months and months passed, and one of them finally called Sherry, my wife, and said, Would you help me? I want to wholeheartedly, I want to deal with this issue in my life. Would you help me walk through that? Somebody had to take their love and faith to the limit. And the only thing I didn't tell you about this couple is they're a homosexual couple. And I know what the Bible says about homosexuality, and that's what I believe. But how dare we be so arrogant? How dare we be so unheartful that when somebody's kids, some mom is crying out for her kids and saying, are you going to help my kids or not? Are you going to reject my kids? Are you going to kick them to the curb like they have no meaning or no value in your life? We should be those people that make room for people that have sin in their life. We should be those people that allow people with scars and ugliness and issues to come and sit right in the middle of us and hear the same word that we are. If we pass the microphone around and if you were honest, we would all have to admit, hey, we got sin in our life too. There are areas where we miss the mark. So how dare we be so arrogant as to say, you don't fit here. We don't have room for you here. We've got a limit that says we can't believe that the power of God will work in your life and we don't have love enough to include you into our family. We got to be those people that break down those limits and say, you know what? I know you got this stuff, but you're welcome to come be part of my family. Story number three, and it's about somebody. Invite somebody 
to come to church. You're not going to have problems remembering this message when you leave here. Because my prayer for you is that when you leave here, you will be a doer of the word. There was a single mom. She was in a store with her little boy. And she'd been abused, abandoned, divorced, and left to raise a little boy by herself. And there was a lady in the store from church. And guess what she did? She invited her to come to church. And she, she accepted the invitation. Did you know that in America, inviting somebody to church is the most effective thing that happens in bringing people to Jesus? In a, in a research study that was done a few years back, they went to unchurched people and said, what would it take to get you to attend church? And I'm talking about here in America now. I'm not talking about someplace. I'm talking about right here in America. And now I think the statistic is like over 80% of them said that they would be likely to attend if they were invited. They went to people who go to church and said, how many of you would be likely to invite someone to come to church with you? 2%. So our culture is saying, we'd like to come and see what you have going on. And we're saying to our culture, ah, you know, I don't think so. I'm not really interested in that. So this single mom, she's there in a store, and this lady invites her to come to church, and she comes, and when she walks into the building, she feels something. She feels something. And you know, that's what church should be about. We should experience what's going on. It should be something that we can tangibly, it's, a, it's an environment, there's an atmosphere, there's an aroma, there's something that distinguishes this place being a safe place for us to come with our issues. And she came, and it was just magnetic. It just attracted her. And, and, you know, I think single parents are like my heroes. And I just want you to know, if you're here and you're a single parent, you're not insufficient. Jesus will get you the resources that you need to be able to do the job that you need to do. Don't doubt that. But she started coming to church, and and... She just couldn't believe it. She couldn't reconcile it in her mind why these people were treating her the way that they were because in her mind, what the, you know, because somebody was being kind or showing appreciation for her, all that meant to her is they must want something from me because that's, that's the only way she'd ever been treated. Everybody wanted something from her, and she couldn't reconcile that in her mind, but she was just attracted by what, what she felt, and she started coming. One Sunday night, she came to church with her little boy. And the pastor was closing the service, and he said, if you're here and you need prayer, why don't you just come up and we're going to pray with you. Whatever, whatever the need is, we're just going to believe God to answer your prayer. And she had all kinds of needs, but she had all kinds of shame. And she was paralyzed in her seat. The prayer service started. People were coming forward to have prayer, and all of a sudden she felt a hand tugging on her pant leg, and it was her little boy. And she bent down to see what the little boy want, and he said to her, he said, Mom, Mom, we need prayer. And she said, I know, honey, it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to take care of us. And that appeased him. The prayer service is going on when all of a sudden she felt a hand tugging on her pant leg. There's a little boy, and she bent down to hear what he wanted, and this time he was more determined. He said, but mom, mom, we need prayer. 
And she said, okay, hon, let's pray right here. And he said, no, mom, I want to go up there. And reluctantly, she left her shame at her seat, brought her little boy forward, told the pastor it was the little boy that wanted prayer. The pastor got down on one knee and looked him straight in the eyes and said, son, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And the little boy looked at the pastor and said, I want Jesus to bring my daddy home. And so they prayed. Their life continued to get worse and worse. But one Sunday night, the single mom came to church with her little boy and her ex-husband. And there was an opportunity in that service, just like there will be here in a minute, for people to believe on Jesus. And everyone except maybe the little boy was shocked when the ex-husband said, I want to believe. Their marriage was reconciled, more children added to the family, and it was all because somebody invited somebody to come to church. Typically, at this time in the sermon, I just walk up to the front row and say, I'd like to introduce you to that single mom because she's right here and her name's Sherry and she's my wife. And that little boy is my son Jason. And I'm that ex-husband. Our lives were transformed because a housewife with a beat-up station wagon and five kids invited Sherry to come to church. She didn't look like she had much to give, but she had one empty seat. Oh, I have to explain what a station wagon is. That's, that's, uh, that's what Clark Griswold drove in those vacation movies. You know, wood grain on the side, green, ugly. She didn't have some kind of big ministry. She didn't have some kind of background. All she had was an empty seat in a beat-up old station wagon. And she invited my ex-wife to come to church, and because of that, you know, here I am 39 years later sharing that story with you. And when you leave here today, you're going to be around people. You're going to be around people that don't believe like you believe. They're waiting for somebody to intervene in their life and to be there and to just say, you know what, I got, I got faith for you. I believe that it's possible for Jesus to do something in your life and in your heart. And I've got love enough for you to express that in such a way that you can understand it. You don't have to be some kind of spiritual giant. You don't have to be some kind of superstar Christian. You don't have to have a spotless life. All you have to do is have faith and love and watch what happens. It might be that you just sow the tiniest of seed of the fruit of the Spirit and be kind to that person. And that might be the thing that breaks down a wall and a limit in their life that says somebody actually cares about me. You might have just the opportunity to, you know, to leave a big tip. When you go out to dinner, you know, a lot of people that have service jobs like that, they don't like to work on Sundays because they know the Christians are coming to the restaurant. And they'll tell you that they are the most demanding and leave the smallest tips. 
So leave a big tip today when you go to the restaurant. Come on, man. I mean, break it out. Share it. Spread the love. But you can do this. I mean, this is an easy thing for you to do. Just what? Somebody. Invite somebody to come to church. And that somebody is you. I don't know everybody here, so I'm going to not assume that there might be people here that have never believed on Jesus. And I want to, or you have, but yet you have this feeling in your heart that you're not connected. You just, you, you did it one time. Maybe you were baptized as a child or sprinkled or confirmed or something like that, but you just know that you're not connected now. And I just want to speak to that for just a second. Jesus offers us something that is so remarkable, so wonderful, that it's just, it, it's beyond what your mind can comprehend. It's something that you have to believe with your heart and not with your mind. He offers us this. He offers us the opportunity to be born again. To be born again. To be born into a different family. To be born with a different genetic to be born with a different heart. And he said, it, he said it like this. He said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And when he says you'll not see it, it's like you'll not experience it. You'll not be able to partake of it. You'll not be able to experience it. When, Like in heaven? No, he's talking about right now, this moment. Because the kingdom, the Bible tells us, is within us. The kingdom is within us. And so there's something that Jesus wants to do to bring you into this kingdom so that you can experience the reality of God's love, his kindness, his favor, his desire to really be your father. And that's what, that's what really this whole thing is about. When you look around you, when you walk outside and you experience the reality of this planet, what's this all about? It's about God's desire to be a father to you and I. That's what, the, that's what the entire theme of the Bible is. His desire to be a father to you. And listen, I followed the Lord for decades before I came to the reality of experiencing God as my father. And it revolutionized my life. It revolutionized my life. But Jesus says... There's this thing that can happen in your life where you are born again. When Sherry and I, when we got married the second time, we, you know, we were in this little country church in northwest Missouri. I mean, smallest populated county in the state of Missouri. 5,000 people in the whole county. We were in a church, and I'm not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. The name of the church was God's Sheep Shed. Where all the big sheep and the little lambs get fed. We had, a, we had a song and everything. And no, I will not sing this song to you. It wasn't my song. But we were, you know, I, I, the day before, I don't remember the day before because I was so drunk. But that night we stumbled into that little church with a marriage license and the pastor said, I just went up to the pastor and said, hey, I said, hey man, we got this marriage license. We want to get married tonight. And he said, I'm not going to join that mess together. That's what he said. That was a quote. It's like, man, my self-esteem is just like out of here. But he, just, he changed his mind. He said, okay, I'll marry you, but you're going to believe on Jesus. 
He didn't explain it to me. He didn't take me down a Roman road. He didn't show me the four spiritual laws. It's like this. He was about this much bigger than me, and I was afraid of him. <laughs> and I said yes. But we got down on our knees in that ceremony. And something came out of my heart. It was faith. And I believed on Jesus. And he stood us up. And he made us face each other. And he said, young man, you see this young woman? I said, yep. He said, she doesn't have a past. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things become new. He turned to Sherry and he said the same thing. When we're born again, old things, the old life, the old man, it's passed away. Just think of the cemetery. Think of the, the service. Think of the funeral. Think of the casket. All of those things. That's what happens. But then you're born again with a different genetic. You get a new heart. And that heart's different than the heart you had before. I'll take a little survey. How many of you, before you met Jesus, didn't have any problem finding sin to get into? It's like it just came natural, right? It's just like, that's just, I can just do that thing. It just happens, you know. But after you came to Jesus, it just didn't feel the same. You get a new heart, the Bible says, when you're born again. And it's different because it's got God's laws written on it. And his laws are there to create a path for you to experience the reality of the goodness of God in every part of your life. It says that we get a new nature when we're born again, and that nature is different than our old nature. That's a nature that's not given to sin. That's a nature that's given to righteousness because Jesus gives us this gift and makes us as we should be. He makes us righteous. And so what a deal is that? I mean, what kind of thing is that? I can have a transformed life that's led by a father who the Bible says loves me in such a way that is perfect. He knows and understands all of my stuff. He sees it. He knows it. It doesn't scare him off. He's still standing there with open arms and says, come to me and we'll walk through this thing together. And get this, he sees the end from where we start. He sees from where we are the path that we're going to be on. He knows every step and he wants to guide us through life. So I don't know about you, but it's like with me, you know, I'm not the sharpest tack in the pile, but when I hear the gospel, it's like, I want that. I can tell you every single time before I came to Jesus that I heard the gospel, every single time. And today, maybe it's the first time that you've ever heard that, and you say, you know what? I want that. I want to, I want to start over. I want a new chance. I want a new start. I, I want to be born again. If that's the word, I want to be born again. And so, can we do this out of just respect for one another and reverence for God? Could you just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I've never experienced that. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I know I'm not connected like I should be connected, then in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. We're just going to pray together, and we're going to get you started on this journey. So don't, don't, don't let your mind talk yourself out of what you know in your heart is true. What I've told you is the truth, and it's time for you to respond to it. 
If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I want to be born again, or if you say, Jimmy, I want to reconnect to God, then right now I want you to lift your hand, and we're just going to pray together right now where we are. Thank you, hon. There's no shame in what's, been, what's gone on in your life. It's just you saying to the Father, okay, Father, I'm coming to you. All right, let's pray. I want everybody to pray with me. This is for this, this one that raised their hand. I want everybody to pray with me and just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you just as I am. And I want to be born again. I want a new heart. I want a new nature. I want a new life. I'm sorry for what I've done. And I give it to you. And I come to you just as I am a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. I thank you for introducing me to my Father. Lord, I pray for this one that raised their hand. May this experience be so real, so meaningful, so deep in their hearts that right now that they would, they would remember it, and they would experience it for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, those of you that raised your hand and said that, or if you didn't say that, Clint's here, the pastoral team, whatever you call it, the leadership are here, and their job is to keep you going in the right direction, keep you connected, keep you on the path, and keep you discovering this new wonderful life that we have. So I hope today that when you leave here, you'll do the work, invite somebody to come to church, if they, don't, if they say no, just find another way, you know. I mean, I, got, I still got five minutes. And uh, so I can tell you all kinds of stories. We have, Sherry and I, we have a, a donor who, um, a contributor to our ministry who, uh, they, they give us a house to live in. So we've been in one of their houses for almost 13 years, which is amazing to me. And uh, we were in one house, and then one day the gentleman called and said, hey, uh, you willing to move? And it's like, well, what you got in mind? He goes, I want to upgrade your house. I'm like, dog, you know, I'm packing right now, you know. And so we, they found this house, and they completely remodeled it inside and out, and it was just like a brand new house. And, uh, and so Sherry was taking some friends over to, um, to show them the house. It was empty, completely empty. We hadn't moved in yet. And, and when she got in the house, she, she heard like a toilet stuck open. Or something. So she checked all the faucets, all the toilets, and there was nothing, no water running. But she went outside and looked, and our next door, our two B next door neighbors had their hose hooked up to our house, watering their yard. Now, don't you go home and do that. That's a good trick, but don't you do that. And so I, you know, as soon as I heard about it, man, I'm on their front porch, you know, banging on the door, and nobody answered the door, and I'm so glad. But that was the way our relationship started with our neighbors. And he's from Japan, and she's a welder. And, uh, and so, you know, it just, that's the way it started, you know. But, man, it's like I had this seed in my heart, you know, that I want to do something. I want to I invite them to come to church. I want to do something. And so we started just having a relationship with them. And the end of the relationship, they moved away last year. They had, they, they, we, we, we even had, like, their, we don't have pets because we travel so much. And so they had this cat, and so we called him our rental cat. 
So he would like come over, eat, and leave, you know? It's like, here, I'm here, feed me. And he only like canned food with gravy, and all he'd do is lick the gravy off, and then he'd leave, you know, kind of thing. But, but it took years before we had a deep enough connection to where they'd come to church. But what happened as a result of how I responded to that one situation was for Thanksgiving every year now even they moved away they're coming home for thanksgiving and they'll spend it at our house with us every time that i have an event they're there on the front row did i pray the sinner's prayer with them nope did i you know do whatever give them all these things i give them whatever they want but the reality of it is the sherry and i we just call it the ministry of showing up. When you show up, Christ in you, where he goes, stuff happens. And when you show up in somebody's life, no matter how small your influence might be, it's still a seed. And the Bible says that the kingdom is a seed, and it starts with that one thing. So don't be going around beating yourself up because you're not... Like, you know, got people falling out when you're praying for them in public or doing all this other stuff. Just be there and show up and watch what happens. So God bless you all. You got time to go call somebody and tell them to come to the next service. So, anyway, Clint.